0: Your vote tomorrow could lose and it could be your last chance to save the America that we love. That's why I'm here. We're about to go into a dark winter, a dark winter, and he has no clear plan and there's no prospect.
1: Well, it's no big surprise that President Joe Biden supports a strict gun control agenda, He's been talking about it for years, and on the third anniversary of the Parkland High School shooting yesterday, the president urged Congress to crack down, saying, quote, I am calling on Congress to enact common-sense gun law reforms, including requiring background checks on all gun sales, banning assault weapons in high-capacity magazines, and eliminating immunity for gun manufacturers who knowingly put weapons of war on our streets. While President Donald Trump expected to make his return to Palm Beach County Wednesday morning, from all indications, he will make Mar-a-Lago his full-time residence after a life in the White
2: House. Governor Ron DeSantis is responding to a report the White House is considering imposing domestic travel restrictions, including to Florida to target the new COVID-19 variants. I
0: think it would be unconstitutional, it would be unwise, and it would be unjust. And if you think about it, restricting the right of Americans to travel freely throughout our country while allowing illegal aliens to pour across the southern border unmolested would be a ridiculous but very damaging farce. Now attend a Texas independence bill filed in the state house today. Representative Kyle Biederman A Republican from Fredericksburg is behind the bill. It is not a resolution to make Texas secede from the United States immediately. Instead, it would let Texans vote on whether the state legislature should create a committee to develop a path toward independence. Biederman announced the bill filing in a tweet today saying, quote, For decades, the promises of America and our individual liberties have been eroding. Now is the time for the people of Texas to have the right to decide their own future, end quote. I'm reporting from Hondo, Texas, and I know you've heard all about chemtrails. Well, I caught a chemtrail guy red-handed. We're going to talk to Umberto Vivanco about cloud seeding. He's a cloud seeding pilot. Okay, Umberto, this is your cloud seeding airplane. It is. Tell us a little bit about it.
3: Well, this is a uh, Piper Comanche 250. Uh, carbureted and it's been uh, rigged with the flare rack for uh, cloud seeding purposes. So nothing else is really out of the ordinary, you know, from the plane, aside for, for that and the, the button to ignite.
0: Okay, so let's look at these things. So these are individual
3: flares. Yes. And tell us about the material that you spray so in it's, the cloud. It's basically just silver iodide. It's injected into the cloud. Well, the cloud will actually uh, suck it up from from the airplane once you you know you you engage. Um and it'll just it's a condensation nuclei, it'll just kind of collect more moisture, enhance more the rain. We don't make the rain, we just help it rain more than
0: it would. It is a scary story. Uh there are millions without power in Texas and parts of Louisiana, Oklahoma, all up and down the spine, if you will, of the Midwest. Basically, here's what's happened. This ultra deep freeze, not the coldest on record, but close to the coldest ever recorded, is causing this massive surge in power demand. Everybody's trying to crank the heat. So the power companies are trying to crank it up. The problem is there's a lot of shortages in power availability. Some of that has been caused by pipeline issues. Some of that has been caused by wind turbines, Joe, simply freezing and not being able to spin, remember, 23% 23% of te- Texas is the wind capital of the United States, 23% of their power is generated by wind, and a large portion of that is not spinning. Either it's frozen or it's frozen too tight, that there's not enough wind onshore, there's more offshore, that it can rotate that. You've also got other issues with more traditional supplies. I went
1: on the internet and I found what was the exact constituents of the first vaccination that children get. What's really important to notice is that they don't put that live organism in there. This is actually chickenpox. <laughs> but they've taken the virus and they said, how you recognize this virus, your immune system just needs this little bit. So they just want to take it away from the virus. There's no chance that you can cause disease. But sometimes it's difficult to grow up in a virus to pull out just this one little constituent. And so sometimes they will take another organism like yeast, which may be able to produce that product better, such that you can produce a lot of it very cleanly and very efficiently. So one thing about the immune system is to get that immune response, sometimes you have to make it a bit sexy. <laughs> and for that, we use products which are called adjuvants. So they are absorbed to something called aluminum hydroxide. Some parents question the use of aluminium salts designed to boost the immune response to vaccines. Aluminium is, in fact, the third most common element. We eat it, we drink it, so we take it up every day. An average adult will ingest about seven milligrams of aluminium salts.
2: So how did it feel to make this prediction and then have the world essentially not listen and not prepare?
3: Well, there's no good feeling that comes on something like this saying I told you so. If anything kills over 10 million people in the next few decades, it's most likely to be a highly infectious virus rather than a war. You know, I just think back, of could I have been more, been more persuasive? But we've actually invested very little in a system to stop an epidemic. We're not ready for the next epidemic.
2: How did you make such a prescient prediction? How did you know this was going to happen?
3: Well, there's a number of respiratory viruses. And from time to time, one will come along that's very transmissive and causes some level of fatalities. Respiratory diseases are very scary uh, because you're still walking around on a plane, a bus, uh, when you're infectious. Unlike some other diseases, like Ebola, where you're mostly in a hospital bed by the time the viral load Impacts uh, infects other people. Well, there's some risks like earthquakes where we see small earthquakes all the time or, you know, the history of war or fire or hurricanes. So you don't forget these pandemics only come along so irregularly that being lulled into a sense of security where it probably won't be a problem in the next few years. Why should we put money into that? Uh, you don't buy the insurance policy basically. This one will, uh, help us understand it needs to be a priority.
2: I feel like humans have an issue though with fighting the last battle potentially. So if we focus on pandemics now and there isn't one say for another hundred years, what is the next disaster? What is the one that we're not prepared for?
3: Well, I'd point out two. One is climate change. Every year that would be a death toll even greater uh, than we've had in this pandemic. Also related to pandemics is something people don't like to talk about much, which is bioterrorism, that somebody who wants to cause damage could engineer uh, a virus. And so that means the cost, the chance of running into this is more than just the naturally caused epidemics like uh, the current one.
4: Just go read John Hopkins' report. They took it down after one day, but two weeks ago they came out here in America. They took it down, but if you go on the Wayback Machine, you know, you can go back, On your computer and go back in time on the web so people have already published it again and again and what it shows is the same number of people have died this year 2020 has died in 2019 2018 2017 2016 and 2015 2.8 million people it's within 10 to 15,000 people every year the same number of old people died in 2020 the only difference is when they looked by disease heart disease for the first time in 30 years has come down cancer has come down but covid has gone up in the exact proportions now that's interesting isn't it same number of people die by the way in case you haven't noticed the flu has disappeared it's flatlined what are the symptoms of the flu and by the way flu kills people and especially kills older people so we're world where a lot of people might be overreacting because they're trying to protect us because they thought it a 3% mortality rate or 4% that would be a pandemic. But today, figure out know, whose research you read, it's 0.1, 0.2, 0.3, which is the same as the flu. And if you're under 50, it's way below that. So we live in a world that if we let people control our focus, we're just going to live in fear and do nothing. And we're going to be people that manage our circumstances.
2: How did Adolf Hitler, a tyrant who orchestrated one of the largest genocides in human history, rise to power in a democratic country. The story begins at the end of World War I. With the successful Allied advance in 1918, Germany realized the war was unwinnable and signed an armistice ending the fighting. As its imperial government collapsed, civil unrest and worker strikes spread across the nation. Fearing a communist revolution, Major parties joined to suppress the uprisings, establishing the parliamentary Weimar Republic. One of the new government's first tasks was implementing the peace treaty imposed by the Allies. In addition to losing over a tenth of its territory and dismantling its army, Germany had to accept full responsibility for the war and pay reparations, debilitating its already weakened economy. All this was seen as a humiliation by many nationalists and veterans. They wrongly believed the war could have been won if the army hadn't been betrayed by politicians and protesters. For Hitler, these views became obsession, and his bigotry and paranoid delusions led him to pin the blame on Jews. His words found resonance in a society with many anti-Semitic people, By this time, hundreds of thousands of Jews had integrated into German society, but many Germans continued to perceive them as outsiders. After World War I, Jewish success led to ungrounded accusations of subversion and war profiteering. It cannot be stressed enough that these conspiracy theories were born out of fear, anger, and bigotry, not fact. Nonetheless, Hitler found success with them, When he joined a small nationalist political party, his manipulative public speaking launched him into its leadership and drew increasingly larger crowds. Combining anti-Semitism with populist resentment, the Nazis denounced both communism and capitalism as international Jewish conspiracies to destroy Germany. The Nazi party was not initially popular. After they made an unsuccessful attempt at overthrowing the government, the party was banned and Hitler jailed for treason. But upon his release about a year later, he immediately began to rebuild the movement. And then, in 1929, the Great Depression happened. It led to American banks withdrawing their loans from Germany, and the already struggling German economy collapsed overnight. Hitler took advantage of the people's anger, offering them convenient scapegoats and a promise to restore Germany's former greatness. Mainstream parties proved unable to handle the crisis, while left-wing opposition was too fragmented by internal squabbles. And so, some of the frustrated public flocked to the Nazis, increasing their parliamentary votes from under 3% to over 18% in just two years. In 1932, Hitler ran for president, losing the election to decorated war hero General von Hindenburg. But with 36% of the vote, Hitler had demonstrated the extent of his support. The following year, advisers and business leaders convinced Hindenburg to appoint Hitler as chancellor, hoping to channel his popularity for their own goals. Though the chancellor was only the administrative head of parliament, Hitler steadily expanded the power of his position. While his supporters formed paramilitary groups and fought protesters in the streets, Hitler raised fears of a communist uprising and argued that only he could restore law and order. Then, in 1933, a young worker was convicted of setting fire to the parliament building. Hitler used the event to convince the government to grant him emergency powers. Within a matter of months, freedom of the press was abolished other parties were disbanded, and anti-Jewish laws were passed. Many of Hitler's early radical supporters were arrested and executed, along with potential rivals. And when President Hindenburg died in August 1934, it was clear there would be no new election. Disturbingly, many of Hitler's early measures didn't require mass repression. His speeches exploited people's fear and ire, to drive their support behind him and the Nazi party. Meanwhile, businessmen and intellectuals wanting to be on the right side of public opinion endorsed Hitler. They assured themselves and each other that his more extreme rhetoric was only for show. Decades later, Hitler's rise remains a warning of how fragile democratic institutions can be in the face of angry crowds and a leader willing to feed their anger and exploit their fears.
3: Now, I have been of the opinion for a long time now that former President Barack Obama has been calling the shots for the Democrats throughout this election cycle. I believe he called candidates during the primaries and asked them to drop out of the race so his chosen one, his former vice president, the aging Joe Biden, could secure the nomination. I believe he also had Biden select failed candidate Kamala Harris for the number two spot on the ticket. I believe she is the one Obama really wants in the Oval Office and he believes she will be there sooner rather than later. And then this past week I was made aware of an interview Obama gave to Stephen Colbert on the Late Show at the end of November. Listen carefully as he laments the fact that he cannot run for a third term as president.
4: I used to say, you know what, if if I could make an arrangement where um, I had a I had a, a stand-in, a front man or a front woman, and, and they had an earpiece in, and I was just in my basement in my sweats, mm-hmm. looking through the stuff, and then I could s- sort of deliver the lines, but somebody else was uh, doing all the talking and ceremony. Wow. I, I'd be fine with that.
2: Given the risk
0: that the flu
4: and the coronavirus, yeah, there could um, be a problem.
0: Do you, Do you think there is a risk that there'll be um, there will be some, there will be lack of agreement, lack of legitimacy to the results in a very close election and people start saying, well, a whole bunch of people couldn't go and vote because Look, they were I can't scared. tell you what's going to happen in an election.
3: Yeah, I, a great question. I can't tell you what's going to happen. We have a sleepy guy in a basement of a house that the press is giving a free pass to who doesn't want to do debates because of COVID and lots of things are happening, right? And I watched a couple of interviews, and I say, oh, I look forward to this. But they're keeping them sheltered because of the coronavirus.
0: I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message.